0: to episode 24 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Wednesday, September 25th, 2019. Thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope you will continue to put this podcast on repeat. Hello. Hi. Welcome back. Thanks. I am only slightly jet lagged, so we'll see how this goes. My husband and I went to Portugal for a week for our 20th anniversary and his birthday. Um, And it was a lovely trip, and you will hear more about that at the end, I think. I'll do an on-the-road segment. Before that, we'll have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. And we will try and get through without too much outside noise, but the window is open because... It is supposed to be 90 degrees here today, which is hot. It is warm. Definitely. We finally got our September weather.
1: This is the um, climate section of our podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that is one of the delights
0: of San Francisco, that our summers are very cold and falls are...
1: It's not completely atypical that we get some warm weather this time of year. Correct.
0: Yeah. It does make the cooking
1: confusing. And I don't want to knit. Do you want to knit right now? I always want to knit. Okay,
0: <laughs> that's a silly <laughs> question. I just, you know, choose different things. Actually, that's no, that's not even true. <laughs> we'll see. Should I get started talking about what sure. I have been knitting? Tell me everything. So I have a finished object. Hooray! Which I finished last night, my Hermione's Everyday Socks by Erica Luder. The yarn is White Birch Fiber Arts. Colorway is Nasty Woman. It's a neon pink and a neon swamp green, and it came with, (laughs) right? Neon swamp green? Yeah. Yeah. And then it came with an extra ball for cuffs and toes of, that's actually the neon pink. The other stripe, I don't know, it's like magenta purpley with pops of yellow, and it is all kinds of color, is what this is really. They're very fun. They are super fun.
1: I think I once knit one of the kids a crocodile scarf. Remember that crocodile scarf mm-hmm. pattern? In this, uh, in a similar color. I don't know if it's quite as neon-y. It might have been more swampy. Yeah. But these are so fun, so colorful.
0: They're good, and then it's you know ninety degrees, so <laughs> obviously I was super excited to have socks done. <laughs> um, but they were good. I got a lot of work done on them while we were traveling. I think just we were standing in line, waiting to go into various castles and museums. And then on the flight back, we had to get up at 4 a.m. to catch our flight. Um, So I was just tired all day, and I wanted to knit. Reading seemed too complicated. Working on all of my shawls seemed too complicated. So this nice, simple sock pattern was just perfect. And I got most of the second sock done on the flight home. And then I finished up the toes last night. They're beautiful. This pink is pink and purple is really like um, sorbet, you know, like a neon oh, sorbet. Yeah. So fun. Yeah, it was really good. And then I was, <laughs> when I was knitting these at one of the castles, a woman came over to me to talk to me about them. So there's a thing called second sock syndrome, which is if you're a knitter and you knit socks, a lot of people, they... Blast through the first sock, it's very exciting, new pattern. And then they get to the second one and it's like, I've already done this. I don't want to do a second one. So the second sock takes forever. I do not usually have this problem for whatever reason, lucky. But the woman came up and was talking to me and I was working on, I was almost done with the first one. So you could tell that it was a sock. And she asked enough interested questions that I thought she was a knitter. Like she sounded like she knew what she was talking about. And she said, oh, is that the first or the second one? I said, oh, it's the first one. She kind of, she had this sort of sad look like, oh. Oh, then then you're going to your one sock. Yeah, then you're going to, oh, that, you know, then you've got to go on to the second one. I was like, oh, but it's okay because I don't usually get second sock syndrome. And she looked at me with this expression of, she's a mad woman. Like, what is that woman talking about? And she just started backing away. And I couldn't really explain after that what I had been talking about. I thought I'd just better leave it alone and go back to working on my sock and not, you know, scare the moguls anymore.
1: It perhaps sounds more medical than <laughs> oh, than sleeve purgatory. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's true. That is that is a good point. So I need to be a little more clear about if someone is or is not a knitter when I talk about my lack of
1: Was there an English
0: translation issue, maybe? No. She was oh. I think she was English English. Okay. British English. Anyway, yeah, no, that was not, that was not our problem. No, she just was not a knitter. <laughs> That's seemed funny. seemed very concerned about me. But that was good, so I was super excited to get those done. I also on the trip was working on my hometown comfort mystery knit along, which we've gotten all the clues now. It's a shawl from Michelle Stead, and I got yarn in a kit from Destination Yarn. Each yarn was wrapped up individually, and you opened it up on the day that the clue was released. And so clue three came out the day I had left. So I printed it out. And then clue four came out while we were there. And so I got clue three done because I had the flight and you know some early mornings when I woke up early and, and had time to knit. Then clue four came out and I thought, oh, I can just read it off my phone. And then I realized that really wasn't going to work. So I waited until I got home and I'm working on that now. Then it's a really cool pattern and the the yarns the four yarns are very contrasty there's the kind of the pool blue and then it's like a greenish speckled and then a dark blue and now i'm in a, a white and blue speckle and there's each one there's a striping section in between the two different yarns and there's cables and twisted stitches that run up each section it's really it's it sounds like it would be a huge mess but it's really a super fun good cool scarf so I'm excited I to can't... finish that up yeah I'm excited to see it yeah the knit along for prizes ends September 30th so I think I should be okay we'll see otherwise you said it is kind of hot it's not a huge sh- it's not a big huge shawl it's yeah basically works out to about a skein of sock yarn, So
1: I've been looking
0: bad. at Shawls and scarves. Oh. As soon as I get this sweater done, yes, <laughs> any day now, any day now. Excellent. So I'm excited about that. And then I started another shawl because, well, because because that's what we do. This one is the First Impressions Shawl by Brenda Castile, and the yarn is from Serendipity, It's her King's Mountain sock in Camille, and this was yarn and a pattern that came as a kit that I got at my knitting retreat, the Knockers Retreat, this past April. Brenda is one of the knitters that comes to the retreat and she's a designer. So the yarn is dyed for the retreat. Um, I think anybody can order it as well but you got a discount if you were attending the retreat. So it's based on Monet's Water Lilies. So the yarn is blues and greens and then it's just a cute little shawl pattern. And the edge ripples Kind of like water. Apparently, yeah. I haven't gotten there so far. So. Oh, that's pretty. Yeah, like so it's it. fine. I love there's, the colorway. There's stockinette sections and garter sections with some lace, so there's, there's always something different happening and keeps your interest. So I started that. Um, I think I was on the train to Porto I started that one because I had finished working on the Clue 3 of the other one and didn't really feel like working on socks.
1: What kind of a needle do you knit these long scarves on? I
0: use... Circular needles, usually. I use circulars for everything, pretty much. How long of a circular needle? The one I'm working on, I don't think it's very long. I would have to look at it. It was supposed to be a size 5 needle, size 5 US, and I, the one I found was however long it was. You know, Two feet. 22, yeah, 24. Yeah. Um, so, so far it's working. You can kind of bunch it up. and We shall see. Pretty. Yeah, so that's fun. And then that'll be the first item that I'm working on that will count for the Pigskin Party 2019 knit-along, which is hosted by the Downseller Studio podcast, and that's a five-month knit-along that runs the length of the football season. American football. Not that I actually care about football, <laughs> especially, although I guess the 49ers have won a couple. I wouldn't know. Yeah, they, they've won at least one game because it was going on during one of our my kids' soccer games and one of the parents was... Telling us updates.
1: I hear updates about it around my house. Okay. And I let it wash over me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's totally I just don't
1: have the bandwidth
0: for it. Yeah. So you don't actually have to know anything about football
1: to participate or
0: enjoy this knit along. This is the first time I'm doing it, so I'm sort of... Trying to take a relaxed approach to it. You can kind of knit whatever you want, but you get points. Uh, so you get points for finished objects. You get points if you use sponsor yarn or project bags um, or patterns. And then she does, I think every month, there's a little theme knit along. So this month you knit something in a woodsy theme and one of the sponsors. Company name it has, I think it's Woodsy and Wild, something like that. That's you fair. get bonus points for doing that. Yeah, so there seem, they seem to do a lot of different fun things. To keep people's interest, but you had to have started September 5th, I think, was the kickoff day, so all of my works in progress would not count. But the scarf I started after that, so that one will work. And before I left, I did do a little more work on my porthole cowl and my descent cardigan, but those are sort of taking a back seat right now while I finish up the hometown comfort. And then we'll see, there is a cowl that I wanted to do that I that would fit in the woodsy theme. We'll see if I can. Sneak that in. But I'm trying not to stress myself out about that too much.
1: I like that. The theme sort of loosely, you can sort of fit things into it. and
0: Yeah. and That's, that's cool. And I was listening to her most recent episode today, and she was talking about it a little bit. And it seems like they are fairly loosey-goosey as long as you can fit it into the woodsy theme and explain how you're fitting it and have it actually make sense to someone. They're pretty good with it. So that's fun. So yeah, I think that's all my knitting. One finished object, a bunch of stuff I'm still working on. But you made good progress on your travels too. Yeah, uh, and we were doing a lot of walking around and staying up late and sleeping in. So there wasn't there was not a lot. It was not a downtime relaxing kind of vacation. Yeah, except for the travel days on the easel. Well, September is kind of a quieter month, I think,
1: for me i got a little bit caught up in the back to school stuff i did see a um a great prompt called the ultimate autumn prompts and it's meant for art journalers i will put a link in the show notes because i'm forgetting the the hosts of those prompts but i've been using them as jumping off points for illustration and they've been really great I did a whole bunch of mushrooms. I did an array of pumpkins, which were so fun because I did all the heirloom old fashioned pumpkins, the Mm -hmm. sort of pinkish ones and dusty blue ones. And you wouldn't necessarily carve them, but you would arrange them on your porch in an elegant pumpkin. It's gourd
0: season. Decorative gourd season. It is decorative gourd season.
1: So that's what's happening with paint. I did start some character sketches for my Christmas chapbook, Yay. and I built a, a three-dimensional model of one of the key features of the story, and I felt like if I had a model of it, it would be easier to scale the animals in the illustrations. Last year, I didn't give myself enough time to really do full illustrations. I felt rushed in some parts. So having this model, I think, will help me scale everything and and see a scene from different angles and not lose perspective. And I like to draw from life. So this will really help, I think. And it's so cute. It's this house cabinet, and I have big plans. So do you have little... Characters as well, or is it just the cabinet right now? The house? It's just the cabinet. I do have some of those plastic animals from when the kids were little. Okay. The scale is totally off, but that could be really fun to emphasize in the story anyway. A hedgehog that's nearly as big as a rabbit, for example, would be kind of hysterical. We'll see. I'm not sure how it's going to come together. I have to sort of forge ahead. Otherwise, I will paralyze myself if I get blocked. Mm -hmm. So I'm just sort of, I'm I'm playing. The other thing that I have been working on is looking at some sewing patterns. I did a huge clean out of my art room and cleared the deck for the chapbook. I need a lot of space to spread out and lay out these character sketches and scenes and the story and... I made myself a lot of room, and so I moved the sewing machine to a different spot that I think I'll like a lot better, which reminded me, oh, I wanted to make finish those green pants that I think I talked about oh. a year ago.
0: On um, one of our first episodes, yeah.
1: Yes, so I might be ready to... Because the holidays are
0: coming. I know, and I
1: still need those green wool pants. Um, and I saw a pair of royal blue pants Uh-oh. they were great um, and the I inspected them carefully and they were not lined I wow. think that's what's held me back about the green wool pants is I felt like I had to line them but it's really smooth wool and wow. I think I, d- I don't know that I need to they're thick enough that you can't see through them so I might just make the pants see how they feel because you can line As long as I don't permanently attach the waistband, you can line them up until the waistband goes on. Okay, I was
0: going to ask that, yeah.
1: So in thinking and resurrecting some of my sewing projects, I was looking online at lots of different sewing sewist bloggers and independent pattern company websites. And lots of people have these adorable handmade by tags in the Mm -hmm. you know in the back of their shirt or in their pants or jackets so I drew myself a tag and I looked at having them printed most people just screen print them and I know how to do that so I'm gonna screen print some little tags on organic cotton for myself and make my own tags Cool. which seems I mean I can't seem to make the pants well, yeah, I'm spending
0: a lot of time on the tag. Uh, have to be prepared for yes, when they are done. And speaking of prepared, put one in your sweater too
1: when it's done. I absolutely could. Yeah. I'm also preparing for Inktober.
0: I was going to say, mm, mm-hmm.
1: my teenage, my older teenager is taking an art class and his teacher mentioned it to him and I said casually, "Oh, I've participated in that before." And he was aghast. <laughs> and so now, just to really, you know, antagonize my teenager, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the whole thing. <laughs> well, you I'm usually gonna try do. It. I do portions of it. I never do anything with eight legs. Oh, well, That's yeah. where I draw the line. Yeah. But I plan to show up my teenager.
0: Oh, for sure. In this regard. I think that's your job, really. <laughs> yeah. So that's what's on the easel. It's lots. That's good, though, because you were so focused for a long time. So now having all sorts of things going on is kind of of fun. It was a spectacular
1: exercise to clean the art room from top to bottom. Did you finish painting your house? No. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I don't mind. My husband may have another opinion about that. I still have this one little space in my closet that's just... Unfinished. I don't think that counts. It's kind of like my sweater.
0: But like the dining room
1: is finished. Oh yes, and the, front the room? dining room, the front room, and our bedroom okay. are all finished. So I feel that a,
0: a corner in a closet doesn't really count as not being done.
1: Okay, I mean, it's totally undone if you ask me. But
0: <laughs> okay, well I guess it's your your house being painted, so you want to call it undone? You call it undone. I feel you did an excellent job.
1: Thank you so very much. Come. All right, (laughs) on the table. Have you cooked a darn thing?
0: Not really, no. Good. Yeah, I did cook last night. We had we had our Monday pasta night on Tuesday, and I made it's basically a carbonara from Jamie Oliver's Five Ingredients, which is I think a pretty new cookbook of his um, that I got out of the library. So my plan is to work my way through that. So you'll probably be hearing more about that, and all the recipes have. Ingredients. I don't think salt and pepper count. They usually don't. Pasta cooking water doesn't count. So, this was, I mean, it was carbonara. It had a lot of parsley, and you take sausage meat and roll it into balls and fry it. That uh, creates the fat All instead the of money. bacon. Yeah, instead of bacon fat. And I had doubled the recipe, but I realized I only had one egg, so it was probably a little lighter, but it was very tasty. Excellent. So, yeah. But it's kind of nice once you come back to get back into the cooking after all the restaurant food to dive into carbonara. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I'm teasing. It was it's one of those things that are very difficult to make in two separate containers. So. Absolutely. And the boys the boys would be happy about it. Yeah. Oh, and then I did want to talk, because the last time I had talked about the kale sausage crouton sauté from the Smitten Kitchen every day. Yes. Vaguely. Remember, it was a while Mm -hmm. ago. Which was delicious, and I had talked about ways that I was thinking of um, revamping it, maybe adding potatoes or taking out the sausage, things like that. So we had recorded, and then it was the next day or two, I went on a walk with my friend Kelly and another friend. And we were talking about that and they had both made it. And so we were talking about it and my other friend, her husband is vegetarian. So she had swapped out the regular sausage for, you know, veggie sausage, like a spicy chorizo veggie sausage. And then she had done potatoes instead of bread. She didn't think the bread would be filling enough for a meal. Her kids are the same age as ours. So, you know, big eating teenagers. She said she just kind of sautéed the potatoes a little bit beforehand and then mixed them in with everything else, and it was great. So excellent! I love hearing modif- how p- other people
1: modify a recipe.
0: Yeah, so it's been it's it was a good good conversation while we we're walking talking about sausage and potatoes. <laughs> but it was good. I think she had done spinach instead of kale. Definitely a recipe that you can play around with. And I love nice. kale. I do like kale. Yeah. And I think use the baby kale, so it definitely mm, yeah. did not have as much oomph as grown-up kale. it it's still tasty.
1: Good. Well, I've been making a lot of kale chips. Oh, nice. Because it's so abundant right now yeah. and so fresh. And I realized if I do a little amount of oil massaging in the colander, yeah. you don't get puddles of it like you do if you drizzle it on the sheet. And I've determined that, 350 for eight minutes is just right in my oven for kale chips. If okay. I go 30 seconds over that, I have kale carbon.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it just evaporates. Yeah.
1: So I've been really careful about that. But I think I've done it three times in the past couple weeks. Mm-hmm. I just love the kale chips. I haven't really been cooking too many new recipes, but I did make enchiladas, from scratch including a really great mole. Oh. And man, everyone loved it. Then I tried to make it a second time and I did something a little wrong and it
0: was way too spicy uh, for me. And did you actually roll them and do actual enchiladas? Yeah, I yeah. always get frustrated and and decide I'm just it's too much trouble and just do kind of a layered casserole instead of enchiladas generally unless it's someone's birthday or something.
1: Yeah. I, did the, I followed a recipe one afternoon from start to finish, and it really did come out great. We picked up handmade, really fresh, raw tortillas from the mission.
0: Wow.
1: I had slow-cooked the chicken while we were doing all of these errands, and then I made the mole in um, my cast iron and let it really cook down so it was deep, dark, and rich. And I put, I do this with chili too. I put in a handful of bittersweet chocolate chips just to add the depth of flavor. They were so good. And with it, I made this recipe. I have to look at it. It's called Latin yellow rice. So the whole reason why we went on the enchilada journey is because one of my kids wanted Mexican rice and he kept saying Mexican rice. Adam attempted Mexican rice, and it was far too tomato-y for the kid. And so I saw this Latin yellow rice, which derives most of its color from turmeric. Right. And it was fantastic. It was so delicious. There's kind of a, a little bit of a technique in how you put the lid on, turn it down, and then don't touch it, which is hard for me. I'll have a link for that ready for people. It's from Skinny Taste, oh. so it was just really clean.
0: I even made my
1: own badia saison, which is this mixture of spices that I guess you could buy, but I didn't see it at the market, and I liked mixing it. They're, they're not hard to find. They're probably in your cupboard. It's oh, just yeah. coriander and cumin and turmeric, and the the usual suspects, but this was great because it didn't have any preservatives. So so that was a huge success, and everyone loved the Latin yellow rice, although the teenagers still said, it still needs some tomato. Okay. So maybe we'll do that. I did get an opportunity to go back to the SF Marin Food Bank Gala. Nice. And this one, for people who don't know about this, Gala event, I've talked about it in the past, probably one of our first or second episodes, but this food bank event is their chief source of fundraising, and they do it annually at our food bank in the pan, in the warehouse. And there must be 20 different restaurants that come and donate their time and ingredients and skills and do and host a table. But before they host a table for dinner, you get to walk around and try an appetizer from each restaurant, which is a great way to sample a restaurant that you might not get a chance to visit. It's like a Top Chef episode. It? it is. It's very exciting. I always notice that there is a, a theme happening each year. Unintentional? I feel like it's unintentional. Some years are heavy on the truffle you know there'll be like two or three restaurants featuring truffle it feels like a fashion trend if you will Mm -hmm. in the food world this year's trends were chickpeas
0: Mm. and
1: roasted tomatoes on savory shortbread (laughs) (laughs) those are both pretty good trends the savory shortbreads were out of this world Buttery. One had a little rosemary kick to it. One was very simple and I think was more made from a ghee than a butter because the depth Mm -hmm. of butter was just great. Just little squares with a low and slow roasted tomato on top from two separate restaurants. Huh. Kind of weird. So those were the two, my two takeaways from this. We were hosted by... Roo. Roo is an Indian place. Um, I think in the financial district, I'll look it up. (laughs) They did a lot of chickpea-based. In fact, their whole meal was chickpea-based. Wow. So good for vegetarian. Even the dessert was a chickpea cake. Really interesting how all four courses could have such a variety
0: of taste from the chickpea. You didn't sit there going oh, chickpeas. No,
1: you didn't really notice. the The starter and the dessert looked similar, totally different flavor profile, even with the chickpea main ingredient. So that was really fun. I had a a vegetarian entree that was a pile of mushrooms, which I was very excited about. They were incredibly spicy. Oh which I'm not opposed to. I just can't eat a pile of very spicy mushrooms. Right. <laughs> so I felt a little bad about that. But my husband dove in, so it's all good. Well, that's good. Yeah. Really exciting event. I think they're putting it on pause for next year, though, because oh. they're renovating their warehouse, which is a good thing because that means that they've raised enough money to renovate their warehouse. Right. It's such a great event, and I will always be a huge champion for Food Bank. So I think that's it for my table
0: on the nightstand. Well, I got a good bit of reading done. Not as much as I thought I would. Again, like the knitting, we were very busy, not really relaxing. I started off with Hollow Kingdom by Kira Jane Buxton. That one just came out recently. I met a woman over the summer when we were at Camp Mather who works at a local bookstore here. And we were talking about Hot Right Now books and she's mentioned that this one was coming out, and she was really excited about it. So I put it on the list for the library, and it came in. It was it was really good. It was really weird. What's the so genre? The, um, we'll go fantasy. The main character is a crow. Okay. Uh, he lives in Seattle with his human. He was raised from a, a chick by this human, who was foul mouthed, nasty man. So the crow is pretty foul mouthed. But he thinks humans are great. They invented Cheetos, so they are awesome. <laughs> this book was hilarious. Um, so it starts off, humans have all been attacked by something and turned into zombies. Our crow hero is very upset by this, so he and the pet dog set off to find a cure, or you know, to it's kind of a quest book. So he's trying to figure out there's got to be a way to save humans. Humanity is great, so there are still some humans alive. They're all zombies. Oh, oh. Yeah. He thinks there must be some somewhere. Like an antidote. Yeah. Okay. Something, you know, that will bring them back. It's a quest kind of book. It all works out in the end. It was really funny. Kind of sad. You know, comment on global warming and technology and as things tend to be. But not too, well, the technology part's pretty heavy. I mean, it's Seattle. So, But I really like that one. Kind of weird. But I would recommend it. The next one that i basically read on the airplane on the first part of our trip uh, was the kiss quotient by helen huang romance Uh, our heroine is on the autism spectrum she has asperger's and i think the author does too Um, and she didn't discover it until late in life and so part of her journey was writing this book the heroine is really great at her job but as you might suspect, has a hard time connecting with people, has never had a real boyfriend, and her parents are really pushing her to go on dates and find someone. So she decides that she will learn how to be good at relationships, so hires a guy to be her date. Obviously, they end up falling in love, but they don't realize it. You know, shenanigans ensue, and it's romance, so it all works out. I think there's a TED talk about this. Like the data side of Match.com. oh,
1: kind of being tongue in cheek, <laughs> but I think I think there is a an interesting TED talk. That's so, that. Kiss talk. Quotient and Quotient because she's a numbers person.
0: Yes, and that's she cute. she takes companies send her their data and she looks at it and tells them how they can basically do marketing better. But she just loves the data like that's her that's her happy place. There's a lot, actually, a lot of good stuff about food as well. <laughs> the guy is a really good cook, so they talk about, um, he brings her over to meet his parent or his mom and makes her a Vietnamese dinner. And so you're reading this, like, oh, it sounds really good, <laughs> which is always fun in a book. Yeah. So a lot of lot of fun stuff in there. Then I read Summer Country by Lauren Willig. She wrote the, was it wasn't the Scarlet Pimpernel, it was a female Napoleonic spy series there were like 11 books romance really good series and she's finished that a while ago and writing this one now this was Arbatos in the 1800s and it switches back and forth between things going on in the early 1800s and things going on in 1854 Um, two cousins have arrived their grandfather recently died and uh, the man cousin (laughs) has recently married the woman cousin's best friend grandfather died he's going to be running the country country the company um, but she has inherited this plantation house that no one knew he owned and turns out was destroyed in a fire in slave uprising in the early 1800s so they come and start uninvestigating but she's looking into can she make the plantation work their secrets all the usual things So, You know, with the daily running of a plantation It's basically a romance Well, no, because it's basically a romance More of a historical romance She definitely did a lot of research There was some stuff that I was questioning her choices And the tropes she was going with But at the end, it looked like she did a ton of research And really looked into it And was aware of the issues So definitely had a good plot Kept moving along um, did a good job with the switching back and forth and slowly revealing all this, the family secrets. And you could kind of see where some of them were going. But she's a really good writer. That was Summer Country by Lauren Willig. So is that, that's not part of her series? No. So the, the Pink Carnation series, I think it was 10 or 11 books. Okay. Um, and then she's done three or four since then. She started those years ago. Okay. And she's done three or four since then that are historical fiction, but not at all. And this is not part of a series? No. Okay. They've all been standalone. They're a little usually a little more historical than romance. They always have the romance. The Pink Carnation is pretty light and fluffy in a really fun way. And the the standalones are a little more they're not literature, but they're leaning. More down. researched and, yeah. Yeah. and then I listened to The Silkworm by Robert Galbraith. That's the second of the Cormorant Strike books. And the the production was really good on the same walk where we talked about the kale. Sausage Sauté, we were talking about the Cormorant Strike books, because everyone I know has has trouble with number four, and my friend said she had listened to it, and she thought that was a better way to get through it. I agree. Um, Plus, they're huge. They are. Yeah, you turn them on, you're like, I have 16 hours to listen to. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But no, but it was really good, except that, you know, I wanted to keep listening, and then I had to talk to my children, or go somewhere, you know. Do something other than keep listening. And last night, I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna finish this." And I got to about 20 minutes left, and I just could not get any farther. So that was a little frustrating. But I listened to it this morning and finished it up. Uh, yeah, still like it. I can't believe she's still with that guy. So yes, yeah, so it's a uh, murder mystery, detective, but good relationship with his assistant. Um, I love their chemistry. All the same. Yeah. It's what keeps bringing
1: me back to that series. Yeah. And I'm so excited she's going to really spool them out because I think they're interesting individuals and their their character dynamic is super.
0: Yeah, it was really good. And the guy reading it did a good job with the voices. There's a one character who has a really raspy smoker's voice and he did that really, really raspy, which was kind of annoying because he would keep <laughs> hacking and doing a smoker's cough. And so that was like maybe too much of production value, but overall really good. You could tell who was talking. Yeah, yeah. So that was fun. And then I'm currently reading two books. I'm reading The Group by Mary McCarthy, which came out in the 60s and apparently caused a scandal. Ooh. Um, so we'll talk more about that next time. And also The Women of Copper Country by Mary Doria Russell. Historical fiction, and she wrote one of my most favorite books, *The Sparrow*. And this is not at all like *The Sparrow*, which is Jesuits in space. This is um, <laughs> a copper strike in Michigan in the nineteen nineteen thirteen. So, very different. But she is an exceptional writer. I like her. Yeah, yeah. So that's what's on my nightstand. How about you?
1: I read *City of Girls*
0: by oh, Elizabeth
1: Gilbert. What did you think? I was surprised. I think that you can have your opinion about the main character, but boy, was she true to herself for the most mm-hmm. part? And I think it was really well researched this very nuanced play scene in New York City during the 1930s. It was It was a not anything that I knew about. And I think her detail about the stage and what kind of plays they were showing and what it was like to be that kind of performer during the war was really interesting. But what totally captured me was all the sewing. And actually, now that I think about it, that might have brought me back to the, oh yeah, I need to finish those. I need to start those green wool pants that I've made three samples of. So, all said, a very enjoyable read, even though it wasn't what I was expecting. Right? Yeah, I yeah. don't know what I was expecting. It wasn't that. I wish I, had, <laughs> I wish I had articulated, that would be a great exercise, actually, is a book that is getting tons of press from an author with whom you're well acquainted. For example, the new Margaret Atwood. Mm -hmm. I should probably take a minute and write what I think that book is going to be about and and then allow myself to go and read it and be surprised. Anyhow, City of Girls. Then I picked up a really speedy mystery from the library called The Suspect by Fiona Barton. Have you ever read any of her stuff? Not that I can remember. She is a British author who writes kind of crime, psychological thriller type genre. This one is about two girls who have finished their high school or whatever it's called in Britain. They're waiting to get their A-level grades and so they go off to Thailand and they go missing and then calamities occur I don't want to give too too much away the police element of it is that the Thai police are they go and do their own investigation but because they're two British citizens the British have a concurrent investigation happening and then there's the concurrent press story of what's happening to these two girls and the woman who's writing the the lead articles about it, her son just happens to be in Thailand. And so there's this weird connection and coincidences. And I don't know that I was wholly sold on the coincidences. It had lots of shifts in perspective throughout the narrative, which some people like and some people don't. You knew who was speaking, so it wasn't confusing at all. And the time while not linear, you knew when they were toggling back and forth. It was a really easy, entertaining read. It's good for, you know, a long weekend or that kind of thing. And finally written. Then I dove into This Tenderland by William Kent Kruger, which is a, a recently published fiction, and it is kind of an epic journey. It's it feels like a uh, Huckleberry Finn, a set of brothers, and two other companions who are runaways from a, a school, kind of a reform school, that was meant for Native American children. This is right around the Depression time, same time period as City of Girls. The kids are, for the most part, in their late teens or early early and late teens, the the older ones, and they rescue this little girl who's maybe eight or ten and they take her with them. It is historically grounded in the practice of taking Native American children from their families and putting them in the into these reform schools during that time terribly to their detriment because they often use them as indentured servants for farms that were really struggling throughout that the middle of the country then. There were lots of droughts that were happening. And so everything is sideways for these kids. They're all orphaned. They only have each other. They're on this, you can't call it an adventure because it is not by choice. And they're trying to get to St. Louis where they think They might have a living aunt who will take all four of them in. Wow. And the two boys are not Native American. They're white. And then they're traveling with an older boy who's a a Sioux Indian, who's mute, and then the little girl. So it's this really interesting mix of personality and peril and history it's, you stay with one character throughout, and he is very observant and astute, and it's, I have 30 pages left. <sighs> I have a feeling where it's gonna go. I, I love this book. I think it's gonna be one that, that resonates with a lot of people, and I did not like Huckleberry Finn the hundred times that I've been asked to read it, you know, in high school, middle school, high school, right. again, in college. It was just never my thing. This is a totally different odyssey,
0: and I shall leave it there. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one, but it sounds intriguing. Hmm. It's very good. All right. So. so,
1: while you were off gallivanting all over Europe, I went over across the city to the San Francisco Public Library big book
0: sale at Fort Mason. I know, they put it back in their their usual mm-hmm. time, so I couldn't make it this year.
1: It wasn't as abundant as it's been in years past. Huh. Or at least it wasn't. I went on Thursday, I think. The third maybe the Wednesday. Mm-hmm. You know, it's usually four or five days. Right. And I went with a strict guideline for myself. I took in one tote bag, wow, and did not let myself look at fiction. And I went right for field guides and books that I can cut apart. <laughs> um, and I found some really great field guides. Cool. So I was very excited, and I found a book to cut apart. Very good. Maybe three. Um,
0: but they all fit in the bag.
1: They all fit in the bag, and I was mm. in and out of there in under two and three quarter hours. Wow. And I steered clear of fiction because I feel like I have a lot of books from years past, from life, basically, that I want to read. Yeah. So I didn't feel compelled to bring
0: more fiction in. That seems reasonable. Cool. But field guides? You're all over that? Uh Uh-huh. And you found that one with the birds on it? That looked beautiful. I don't know what that was.
1: For the most part, those are older children's books or older textbooks that I know aren't worth anything. I did pick up something that I was really smitten with, and my husband did a quick check to make sure. Oh, it was a um, an old Wind in the Willows that I want to cut apart. And he said, let me just check this and make sure it's not surprised. So
0: right.
1: It wasn't. I I wasn't surprised
0: that it was. Not a rare book. Yeah, and I think the library usually is able to figure those out.
1: I think the they're, section. Yeah.
0: All, All right. Always worthwhile though. Yeah, I was sorry sorry to miss it. Yes, but I did you know some other shopping and exploring and while I was on the road. Uh, so we went to Portugal. We were in Lisbon for about four days and Porto for two and a half and it started off very hot. Less hot than I thought. There was a nice ocean breeze. And then Porto, it all of a sudden turned to fall. And our first day was nice, and the second day it rained. Beautiful cities. Very hilly. Like, really? Yeah, super hilly. All hills, like San Francisco. Lisbon has its own Golden Gate Bridge. so And they have cable cars also. So <laughs> They would have these t-shirts with their hills and a cable car and the Golden Gate Bridge. But it would say Lisbon instead of San Francisco, and I I saw one that I really had to do a double take because <laughs> it absolutely—you could have just changed the name and made the cable car red instead of yellow, and it would have been a San Francisco T-shirt. It was pretty funny. That's funny. funny. Well, um, they were there
1: first. True.
0: I think <laughs> our bridge was not actually. I don't even know. But it's, it's the same designer of the bridge. And, How yeah. interesting! I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so we went to we. Well, Simon came to the second one with me. We went to two yarn stores. First was in Lisbon, the Retro Saria Rosa Pomar. And then in Porto, I went to Lopo Xavier. They're both very nice and I bought local yarn. Both stores had their own yarn lines. So that was fun. So I got some fingering weight. I ended up with a sweater's worth at the first place. (laughs) And I got something else. Just to be safe. Well, I didn't mean to. I was just going to get a skein, and then it was it's like this pinkish, purplish, gray, multi-variegated business, and then they had two of those skeins. It's like, well, I'll get the two, because they can play around a little more. And then they had a skein of gray that was basically the same gray. I was like, well, with three skeins, I can really do something. <laughs> and then I found a purplish that was kind of a grayish-purple-pink that kind of picked up. The color I was like "Well, with four I can do a full-on fade and it'll be amazing and so then I brought it up to the counter and the guy was like I can check and see if there's more of the, the variegated in the back and I was like well <laughs> no I've got a vision now I appreciate it but I'm good so and they That's were funny they were very nice cute little store crammed with yarn did a bunch of different weights of their own yarn and then they had some regular Malabrigo and you know usual stuff that you can get kind of anywhere which is fine because everybody needs that but I was mostly playing around in in their yarn line so that was nice but it's on it's on the second or third floor of this little building so you go in the door and you have to keep walking around and they have the the lights are on like a motion sensor so as you're walking up so you walk up the stairs and it's really dark but then the lights start going on <laughs> and you finally get up there and it's this cute little studio and they do mail order and they have fabric too oh fun many things for many people and i got a cute carry bag because i didn't exactly expect to be buying quite that much yarn at the time um, but that was fun and then the one in porto Bo xavier again they have they had a lot of you know every everyday yarn but they had their own line in three different weights and I went with a lace weight in this really dark, super dark navy blue. No idea what I'm gonna do with that, but I just, you know, local yarn. Yeah. So that was fun. And then in Lisbon we went to Bertrand Books, which is Guinness certified as the oldest bookstore in the world. Um, so that was fun. And we actually bought books. My husband has been studying Portuguese so he wanted to get some Portuguese books. Um, and he asked them for recommendations. I didn't and know he was studying Portuguese. Of course. He's a language guy. He loves learning new languages. Yeah. He's really good at it. We've been planning this trip for a while, so he's been... Practicing. Practicing, taking lessons for about 10 months. And we didn't get to chat as much with people as he had hoped because we were being tourists, so we are talking to restaurant people, and everybody there speaks English. Yeah. But he was excited, so we went to the bookstore and asked for some recommendations of kind of simpler works. So he got a uh, three or four books... And then I found um, a cookbook. It was, you know, traditional Portuguese food, but in English, because I do not speak Portuguese at all. (laughs) But I like to have a a cookbook to remember my travels. And then I also found a historical fiction uh, book translated into English, but originally in Portuguese. And this woman has done a series about Portuguese queens that have been significant in history. And so the one I picked, I think it's her first book and it's about Philippa of Lancaster who was an English princess became queen of Portugal in the 1300s and i guess her marriage created a union between not a union uh kind of a peace treaty between England and Portugal that apparently lasts until this very day and my wow. husband tells me is the longest peace treaty in existence in the world
1: that's so fascinating who knew?
0: so yeah so i was kind of excited and i they had a whole series of the books like all four or five of her books that she's written all in English and I hadn't heard of them and her name isn't particularly Portuguese sounding. Anyway, so I was looking to see if we could get them and they're definitely not, I don't think they're available in the U.S. so I had to, to buy that one. So I'm pretty excited That's, to read that. Oh, that sounds great. We walked by Livraria Lelo, which is where J.K. Rowling hung out when she lived in Porto and wrote or started writing Harry Potter, The line was not, I think, hugely long, but not something we wanted to stand in. So we walked by and I tried to peek in, couldn't really see anything. And then the second day I was like, all right, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to go there at nine o'clock and get in line. And it was raining. I was like, no, definitely not going (laughs) to do that, which is okay. So there's the bookstore and there's another store and then there's a store on the corner and the store on the corner is where you go in to get your ticket and then you get in line Uh to wait. So it was a whole process. And it's on this beautiful little park. So there was, they have all these wonderful kiosks at all the parks where you can get a drink and snacks. And so there's tables all around. Um, so you could kind of hang out on the lawn there. And it's right across from one of the churches with a really tall tower. So it's this beautiful little area. And near the yarn store also. So Very important. And many great Put things yourself in that, in the way of in those that yarn store. Yeah. So then food-wise, well, drink-wise, I really like the Porso Tonic which is basically a gin and tonic, but with port instead of gin. Wow. Delicious. My favorite one of those was at one of the little kiosks, actually in Lisbon, um, and they used mint and lime in it, and the two others that I had, they used lemon, so it was much more tonicky Mm -hmm. tasting. I guess the first one was really more mojito-like. Sort of. So, yeah, but delicious. And then we did do, Lisbon has a cherry liqueur, that they really had available all over the city. That's kind of the thing they do. Hmm. And there's a little store in the center of town where you sneak in, you give the guy your euro, euro 50 or something, and then you get a little shot of this cherry liqueur and everybody stands outside in the street. It's very touristy. But then there there were actually locals going in as well. And you could tell who the tourists were because you could get the shot with actual cherries in it and the locals were all getting it without. But if you, know, you were a tourist, he would just be like, "Give you the the full the full thing," so that was kind of funny, and it was it was an odd taste. Well, having the cherry in there takes up all that space when you could have the rest of the yeah. It was plenty. <laughs> <laughs> it was plenty, and then I did a full tasting of the, and I'm probably pronouncing this incorrectly. de nata, which is their little custard tart. Oh yeah, yeah. That are perfectly sized. They're I don't know how big is that two two inches. Yeah. So they're so you can get one, you can get two. They're good for breakfast, they're good as an afternoon snack. They're everywhere. They're delicious. So it's a little flaky pastry crust and then like a custard cream mm-hmm. inside. Usually serve them warm and you can put um, cinnamon or powdered sugar on them. And I decided I like them best plain. Okay. I did try them with cinnamon a couple times and it just not so much. Um, although I usually like cinnamon so I'm So I tried them at four different places, including the original place in Benham. And I went to, I don't know, I went to a bunch of places. I went to a more modern place. I went to an old-fashioned bakery that's been around since the 1800s. I went to sort of a local chain place. We went to two gluten-free places. So actually, I had six total. I I appreciate your commitment to this tasting. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I think my favorite was, uh, I think it was the modern place, which kind of killed me, but... Yeah, I like that one best. There was there's kind of a ratio of the pastry to the cream. I thought they had a good balance. The gluten-free ones were, like, the cream part is usually fine. The pastry just isn't as flaky, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Oh, and actually our hotel. The last night we were there, we stayed at a hotel and we got brunch when we got in. And they brought us bread baskets. And Simon's, gluten-free one, had a staldonata in there and it that one was actually really good that pastry was pretty flaky we were a little concerned <laughs> it wasn't actually gluten-free but all of his other bread was def- different from mine and definitely gluten-free so presumably they got that right and he hasn't said that yeah it affected him so yeah so that was that was fun excellent research monica thanks so if you need actual names of places that i went they will be in the show notes but i am happy to answer questions if you want to you know get in touch and we went to a dinner it was one of the that was one of the places where he couldn't be vegetarian it was a fado dinner they have restaurants where you go and they feed you dinner and then they play fado music which is the music of portugal the dinner was really great but they they were they were not making any concessions to the vegetarians you got uh, you start off with a meat and cheese plate So that was fine. He had cheese and olives. And then for dinner, um, each couple got, you either got a seafood stew kind of thing or pork dish. Um, And we chose, so we went with the seafood, which was delicious. Because he has been eating a little bit of
1: shellfish, right?
0: No. Oh. He was going to do, so when he first started being vegetarian, he was going to do salmon and sardines. And then he decided, no, I'm just, it's too complicated. I'm just going to do. Vegetarian. So on this trip, he did have to eat some seafood. Well, on the plane, airplanes can do vegetarian. They can do gluten-free. They cannot do a combo. If you have more than one food need, bring your own. You're in trouble. And then we found a lot of vegetarian restaurants that also had gluten-free. But the vegetarian food really isn't Portuguese. So mm-hmm. it would be more Indian-themed or yeah Asian, you know, something... Not local food, Um, delicious. We had some really good meals, and then like breakfast places were good. A lot of them had gluten-free bread, which I was surprised. So that worked out pretty well because he could have tomatoes on gluten-free toast or whatever. Breakfast is usually a little easier anyway. But dinners, you could not be gluten. You could hardly be vegetarian at a Portuguese restaurant, and gluten-free was dicey. (laughs) So we we ended up going to one basic Portuguese restaurant. And the only thing that he could eat and stick to his diet was a plate of tomatoes. He ended up having some, uh, a cod dish there as well. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's all either fried or meat, a lot of meat, which, you know, was delicious. (laughs) And I think, and as you went to more of a higher end, like a reinvented Portuguese cuisine meal, you could, you would have more options. We went to one of those um, and he had a really good asparagus salad and there were some other things on the menu. But the Fado dinner was really good, and the music was, was really good as well. Yeah, and I think those are the main things. We went into lots of castles and churches, and um, some museums, and there was a lot of history, um, not history that I knew, so I kind of have some, some research to do, things to look into, and yeah, it was a really, it was beautiful and interesting trip. Well, happy anniversary. Well, thanks. I think that's all I've got. Should we do a quick, not bingo recap, but I don't think we ever talked about what was in the prize package now that our winner has received it. The winner has received it. I sent
1: Julie a cookbook, a little cookbook that was based on honey in a very cute zebra box two hot pink balls of yarn. Ooh. Julie, I think, I looked at her profile first, and she had lots of jewel tones, so I tried to find something as bright as I could. And then I also snuck in there a little notebook from Flow Magazine, which we had talked about, and I had made her a mini teeny tiny book from that miniature book class. I oh, took. And I also tucked in my favorite Paris tea, So there was a little something for knitting for her on the needles and a little something for... On the easel? Um, not so much on the easel because I don't know if she, she is a... Easel kind of girl. An easel person. But definitely the two sketchbooks or the little books would oh. work for that. And then the recipes and the tea for on the table and then she could also use the little books for jotting down books that she wants to read or they they were placeholders for on the nightstand if you will cool yeah, I think it was kind of a in keeping with the theme of our yeah. our summer bingo. so thank you everyone for playing along and even if you Did every single square or did one square? We are so appreciative.
0: All right. And then I think that is it. So remember to do something you love every day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or Courtney S.F. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-H-E-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.